The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Welcome, everyone, to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside Jim Margulis, the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, as we are coming live on Wednesday nights on May 24, 2023. And uh, if we sound chipper, it's because the White Sox have finally shown some signs of life. They have won eight of their last 11 games, and that includes winning a series in Cleveland, Jim. So they, yes. won, they won the series at home against Cleveland, which is a nice surprise. Now they go to Cleveland, and after they lost the first game, just a very lackluster effort offensively they only had five base runners they lost three to nothing thanks to some crooked numbers in the seventh inning in the tuesday win and i believe it was the fifth inning in wednesday's win thanks to those big innings the white Sox were able to steal two games away from cleveland on the road and uh suddenly they're at 21 and 30 and just five and a half games back of the division lead it was funny after the first game, after such a a disappointing game, and even by shutout standards, it was disappointing. Like usually, you think of a shutout like yeah, it's it's bad. This was bad. This was a really uh, just uh, a, a lackluster game, especially when you think they have momentum and then they just kind of fall flat in their faces. But having read uh, the Cleveland blogs and the in the you know coverage in the Athletic and and other such. Like they have similar problems as the White Sox and that like every time they think they have something going, they have some spectacular failures or, you know, like the, the Mets series, the Francisco Lindor walking them off like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're former hero now turned hated rival. So I was, you know, I had an open mind in terms of like, well, you know, the Monday was terrible, but if the Guardians are as bad and, and as not fun to follow as everybody says then there should be an evening here there should be you know whether the white Sox win or not like nobody should leave this series feeling good about themselves and i, I think you know the white Sox they still are nine games under 500 so that a lot of work remains but the guardians are 
I, I think it's fair to say, at least right now with Tristan McKenzie uh, out and Cal Quantrill looking uh, pretty like fourth, fifth starter-ish, uh, I, I think it's fair to say they're they're pretty bad. I tweeted this out. Every American League Central blogger, podcaster, man, this team stinks. But do they stink less than the other four teams? <laughs> and I feel like we're in this group, Jim, of uh, these are very, like, the twins. I think the Royals are the Royals are just like meh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe they have resigned to their fate. Yeah, uh, that things are not going so well. And looking at the American League Central standings, and for those that are listening to the audio version feed on the podcast feed, I'll break it down for you. In the American League Central standings on May 24, the Twins ended up saving that series against the San Francisco Giants at home. So they are currently leading the division with a 26-24 record, but they have lost six of their last 10 games. The Detroit Tigers, who the White Sox will be playing this weekend and will be previewing that series later in the show, are currently in second place still at 21-25. and 25. They're three games back of the Twins. The Guardians are 21-28. and 28. They have lost seven of their last 10 games. And large thing to the White Sox and the New York Mets recently. They're just one game ahead of the Chicago White Sox, in which the White Sox, again, are 21-30. and 30. They're five and a half games back of Minnesota and uh, eight games back of the wild card. But they have won seven of their last 10 games. As I mentioned, that even extends to eight of their last 11. And uh, to Jim's point, there's uh, there's Kansas City currently 20 games below 500 at the 50-game mark. At the 50-game mark. That's, uh, that's not good. But when you extend it out to the last two weeks, the White Sox are eight and six, and that includes the la- losing the last two games at Kansas City and losing the first game against the Houston Astros at that home series. Offensively, in the last two weeks, it's nothing to write home about. The team's hitting 238 with a 283 on base percentage, slugging 369. And they've hit 12 home runs in the last 14 games, but they've only scored 49 runs. That's three and a half runs per game. They are running a little bit more. They're eight, four, 11 stolen bases, but not running a ton. What I think is sparking this turnaround, Jim, has been the pitching for the White Sox. In the last 14 games, in the last two weeks, they have a staff ERA of 2.70. That's the best in the major leagues during this stretch. And that's over 123 in a third innings. They've only walked 35. They've drastically cut down the walk rate. And uh, the strikeouts aren't quite there. They've only struck out 101. But they're not allowing that many base runners. The team whip is just 1.05. And before we break it down on the starting pitching front, I do have to ask this question. Is this run for the White Sox real? Winning eight of their last 11 games and seeing how the offense is played and seeing how the pitching has been performing the last two weeks. Is this sustainable, Jim? In classic fashion, I'm going to say yes and no. I think opponents have a lot to do with it. I think the way they're pitching is pretty straightforward. And you mentioned that the strikeout rate is down, but it's also a matter of like when the White Sox are striking out a lot of guys early in the year, it's because they weren't getting guys out any other way. It was just either strikeouts or there were rockets in the gap or bleeders through the infield or homers. So there's just a lot of batters they faced to end up striking guys out. Or in this case, like they're just 
throwing strikes and, you know, whether it's the Royals, whether it's the Guardians, they're just kind of getting themselves out. And it, it makes for really quick innings, as we've seen with even Dylan Cease pitching the contact and doing OK on, uh, you know, on Tuesday. So it's when they're facing AL Central teams, it looks pretty simple. You know, I, I think the offense you know, that shows, you know, that's, that's what's lurking in terms of like when the schedule gets tougher again, will they be able to hang? Can the uh, pitching staff uh, afford any step back before they start losing games that they were winning because, you know, they're allowing five games instead of uh, five runs instead of three a game. That's what I'm concerned about. But I think in terms of like the pitching half, when they're facing Teams in the central facing, yeah, I guess picking on teams their own size, they can do pretty well. So that's what I like about this run is that they're not making it hard on themselves, especially against you know teams in the central. They're 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 not uh, causing trouble by walking guys or hitting guys. Uh, you know they're forcing the leadoff men usually to get on by hitting their way on. So they're not really causing trouble. And you know the AL Central teams, I think, lack the talent offensively to make trouble for them. Even with uh, you know Jose Ramirez back and Josh Naylor back, still felt like that Guardians offense was pretty pitchable as long as you know Ramirez didn't come up in a tough spot. And even then, they got they did a decent job of getting him out. So that's why I think that this is fine right now. And you know, should the White Sox fare well enough against the other divisions? I think they can make up the necessary ground, you know, only five and a half games back because uh, their pitching staff is stronger, I think, than any other pitching staff in the division. Looking at Michael Kopech, by the way, history for Michael Kopech, he's the first White Sox pitcher in franchise history to have back-to-back starts of going at least seven innings scoreless, allowing two or fewer hits and striking out nine-plus batters. That's never happened before in franchise history and Michael Kopech has done that in his last two starts. Before facing Kansas City and Cleveland, Michael Kopech had a 5.74 ERA on the season. Not good. Contemplating, should he move back to the bullpen? After Kansas City and Cleveland, that season ERA is already down to 4.24. He's got a, he's got a run and a half off his earned run average after facing Kansas City and Cleveland. So, like, I bring that up to your point, Jim, and trying to answer the question, is this run for real? Yes, if the White Sox are playing more American League Central teams, which they are this weekend in Detroit, and when you look at Detroit on paper, and we'll preview that series later at the show, I think that this run could extend through the weekend, but the following week, you got the Angels coming into town, and you do get Detroit back. So depending on how that series goes against the Angels, maybe the good vibes can continue to roll at home. But after that, you got a quick trip to the Bronx and the Yankees. You come back home against Miami, the pesky Marlins. And then you have that West Coast road trip to the Dodgers to the Seattle Mariners, and you're in mid-June. So you do get some more division games. It's not like a gauntlet for the White Sox in, in the next couple of weeks. Maybe this run can continue, especially if the pitching can hold up. But as we bring it with Michael Kopech, back-to-back starts against American League Central teams, man, could do world of wonders for your season stats. <laughs> especially when he doesn't need to throw anything besides his fastball, really. Like fastball 70% of the time. It's a good fastball. I mean, it's a really good fastball. And the way he's 
throwing it. Uh, you basically top half of the zone all the time, uh, inside, outside, above, you know, throwing it basically, you know, collarbone high fastballs to get those swings. He's got that working. It's just we still don't know how good his slider is. That's the one thing that keeps me from being super enthusiastic about Kopech uh, is that, like, I would just like to know, like, is a slider actually any good? Uh, because like, should his fastball take another dip again? Like, should he have like a little bit of a dead arm period come up to where like, you know, he's throwing 94 to 96 rather than, you know, 95 to 98, occasionally touching 99. Will it still have the extra zip? If it doesn't have that extra zip, can he get hitters off his fastball somehow? We still don't know the answer to that. And I think if, as long as we don't know the answer to that, that's what keeps me from thinking like, is he a you know, number three, possibly number two starter, or is he like number four, number five? Yeah. And I brought up, well, you were going through your talking points, the stat cast numbers and the latest start for Michael Kopech and the fastball is doing quite well. I mean, 12 whips on 34 swings. That's a lot better than what Dylan Cease did in the, the previous start. And that does concern me a little bit, Jim with the way that Cease has not been generating a lot of whiffs against Cleveland. I'm going to give Cleveland a lot of credit there. They seem to be well-prepared as a team against Dylan Cease. They just don't have the offensive talent to take advantage of being that prepared. Like, they're not whiffing a lot against Dylan Cease, but they're not doing a lot of damage when they put the ball in play. Against Michael Kopech, they were having a terrible time trying to put the ball in play. And when they did, they didn't hit it exceptionally hard off of Michael Kopech. He only allowed two starts, and I think a bug hit him in the eye uh, during the <laughs> middle of his start. And, and the fastball has been dominating, but this is something that you pointed out a couple weeks ago when we were doing one of these episodes with Kopech struggling so much. It's, you got one great pitch, maybe stick with it. And sometimes when I watch Kopech during these last two starts, I get the thought of, he's pitching more like a reliever than a starter. Mm-hmm. He's just getting the ball and he's just attacking hitters and we're seeing velocity readings that we haven't seen since he was a reliever and this strategy maybe in theory would only have Kopech lasting four or five innings with max effort well he's going deep into games because he's not wasting a lot of pitches attacking hitters and he's been so effective especially the fastball against these weak hitting teams that he's going seven plus innings because he's got an exceptionally low pitch count in both of these starts against Cleveland and Kansas City. He didn't even reach 100 pitches mm-hmm. uh, in either start. So I, I think you're right. A couple of weeks ago, just stick with the fastball. And his next start against the Angels, I wonder if he's just going to continue to stick with the fastball, even though you do have two of the best hitters in Major League Baseball will be going up against Kopech and Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. I, I think that will be a good test for Kopech, but it's working. I wouldn't break it right now. Yeah, I mean, he definitely found something with his release point over the last couple of starts. Like he had the extra two days of rest. You know, that might have helped a little bit, but we've seen him throw the change up more. And I think he's mentioned that he uses the change up as something to calibrate his release point. Even if it's not like a tremendous pitch, it's something that he can go to to kind of, you know, he mentioned getting the ball out front uh, and just feeling like that helps his slot get aligned with his other pitches. So, Throwing that more often and using that to get his 
delivery synced up, I think, you know, it might be something he found to where like it unlocks that fastball and that fastball can be all he needs. So that's what I think encouraging no matter what, uh, you know, even if we're talking about like weak opponents is that he forced uh, the guardians and Royals to make trouble for him. Whereas before he was getting behind accounts, walking guys, like allowing one hit over six innings, but walking five and hitting two, like he was uh, all over the place. He's no longer spraying the fastball. So I think now, you know, as long as he can maintain that delivery, we're talking about a guy who can at least force teams to, you know, fight back to punch back. And so far, you know, the, the Royals couldn't do it. The guardians couldn't do it. And, you know, should one of these other teams, uh, you know, have the, you know, offensive depth or the, just the talent to, you know, either put his fastball on a player, put into play hard because they're not even, you know, with the contact that they're making isn't hard. Like he allowed one hard hit ball, I think uh, during his Royal start and then two hard hit balls this last time out, like barely, uh, you know, touching 95 against him exit velocity wise. They are, you know, they haven't been able to do that. So, you know, should like a team like the Yankees be able to turn around then we'll see, but you know, before he was just digging his own hole. Now he stopped doing that and things are a lot simpler for him. And, you know, we're, we're talking about like a slider, not being great his changeup not being great. Like hasn't been, but we don't really know. Like if teams start gearing up for it, then maybe he can flip the script. Maybe it's a matter of like teams, you know, don't really pay attention to the slider. They're not really whiffing because they're looking for fastball and they're trying to fight off that fastball and they just can't do it. Yeah. Ahmed Rosario in his bats early in the game against Kopech was a great example of that Jim with Kopech just peppering him with high fastballs and then just spinning the slider right down the middle of the zone but Rosario is not expecting to see a slider. He's expecting to see a fastball because that's all he was seeing. And that's how Kopech, it's not like hiding a pitch, but it is definitely keeping in the back pocket where earlier this year, Kopech would try to use the slider to get ahead of batters in the count. And I'm glad that he's kind of scrapped that idea. Again, let's see if this continues. If this run is for real, again, that is the question here. Uh, the big theme of this episode, is this run for real For real with the White Sox? And even someone like Michael Kopech, it's a tougher test. I mean, he'll be going up against the Angels at home. He will be facing Otani. He will be facing Mike Trout in that game unless either of those guys get injured uh, before the series so be interesting to see on, on how he fares and hopefully he does continue this run because he's just so fun to watch when he is this dominating and he was not fun to watch before these previous two starts with the walk issues and the home run issue but he yeah. has been electric in his last two starts he may he's even... been a bully like it's it's yeah. fun <laughs> it's like it, we're rooting for a bully and it's kind of fun now, with the series win offensively, is it fair to say, as Romy Gonzalez goes, so does the White Sox <laughs> offense, Jim? Uh, kind of, in the sense that, like, <laughs> they could use contributions from anybody, and when the lineup doesn't dry up after, like, the sixth spot, uh, they tend to look okay, or they tend to, you know, uh, I think have a little bit more life than they do when it's just like, Oh, hope Jake Berger does something because after him, there's nothing. So yeah, it's, it was a nice couple of games for Romy and in between, like, uh, you know, he 
he played some even when he had the hitless game uh, against Hunter Gaddis, like everybody had a hitless game against Hunter Gaddis, basically uh, still like contributed defensively, made a nice sliding play to his right at second base uh, towards second base, made that nice little recovery on that uh, hot shot at Andrew Vaughn that he couldn't locate like he was ranging right, ranging left. The guy's working hard. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's running hard. He's busting out of the box. He's stealing bases like just more a matter of the, if that hit tool can ever get anywhere close to, um, you know, just we're talking what, a 220 average, 230. Uh, he could probably be useful with the power and speed that he has to be like a nice bench guy. But, you know, it's, it's, it's still a long climb to that. Didn't he say in the loss against Hunter Gaddis that everyone has their day and Gaddis had their day? It, it yeah. kind of feels like Roby Gonzalez is, it's like the saying, everyone has their week. And right now, Hunt, uh, Romy Gonzalez is, is having yeah, that week. It was a very self-aware quote. It was almost very sweet. I thought just like, <laughs> well, you know, before you know, Sunday, they were saying the same thing about me. And then I go three for three. So, you know, let's back off the, uh, uh, this guy's a scrub talk because it's not a lot of fun to get that if you're on the receiving end. One thing I did write down, Clint Frazier, what's the plan here for the White Sox? Because he has been useful for the White Sox in this series against Cleveland. He had some moments, but we know that Eloy Jimenez right now is going through a rehab assignment down in Birmingham. And the expectation is after this weekend, he's not rejoining the team in Detroit. He's going to rejoin the team in Chicago. So they're hoping that he'll come off the injured list for the series against the Angels this outfield suddenly is getting full uh, with mm-hmm. bodies. I wouldn't say it's like great <laughs> options that the White Sox have, but they've they've got options at least on the 26-man roster, and somebody has to go back down to Charlotte. What do you think the White Sox do with Frazier? He looks like the fourth outfielder right now. Like he can play, um, you know, I would say a good corner, but like a better corner than Gavin Sheets. So he's like a real outfielder, even though he played that wall ball in a triple. He also made a strong throw uh, at second base to gun down Andres Menez. So like, you know, he showed some skills. I think what he brings to the team, what I've been impressed by so far is that his plate appearances seem under control. Like, you know, in a way that uh, you don't see from, say, like that, um, you know, when De Los Santos cut down Anderson and Berger and Robert in order with strikeouts, like Clint Frazier doesn't look like that. You know, maybe he will at some point because uh, there's a reason why he was freely available. But, you know, early on, uh, the plate discipline has been there and he's been playable for Yankees teams at times that really stressed plate discipline. So, there is something to that. So I think I would like to see him still in the mix. Um, you know, I, I think you first, you have to see if everybody's healthy by the time Eloy comes back because we've played this game before, uh, you know, what are they going to do when Jake Berger and Eloy are in this lineup together and then they're never in the lineup together. So yep. uh, part of me wants to cross that bridge when they get to it, but I mean, like they can probably send Hazley down, you know, just because there isn't a whole lot of use for him. Um, the, the one guy I, I've seen talked about uh, is, you know, can you somehow send Andrew Vaughn down because he's not looking great? Uh, you know, theoretically the options there, but they seem like, you know, Vaughn is kind of a fixture at this point. So there are some minor moves they can make. It's hard to see like where the playing time will come in unless like Jake Berger goes into a huge slump, which, you know, theoretically is always possible given the strikeout to walk disparity. I think he's going to be a hot and cold guy kind of um, just based on how aggressive he is at the plate. Um, you know, the, how many swings that he had in a row, <laughs> just, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's the kind of stuff that where like 
you know, we've seen that with Luis Robert, like it's all fun until all of a sudden you lose you know, the concept of the strike zone. And then it's, you know, two rough weeks of wondering if this guy should be sent down. So uh, it's going to be tough for Pedro Grafal. I think it's going to be more fun. You know, Grafal's had some tough assignments where he's trying to find somebody, anybody who can resemble a major leaguer. This will be more fun than that. But you'll also, you know, there, there might be a little bit of, uh, uh, did I make the wrong move? Did I sit the wrong guy? Like if he happens to be sitting Frazier and then Eloy slumps or, uh, you know, sitting, you know, sitting Gavin Sheets and he never gets back into the, the um, you know, nice little run that he was on before he tweaked his wrist. So there will be some, a little bit of like, uh, you know, is the grass greener, except uh, instead of looking at a fence, he's looking at the bench. Jake Berger's home and away splits. Should we be concerned? I don't know. I mean, usually the splits this early in the season, it's already a small sample size and cutting that further in half. Like I'm inclined to say no, but uh, it is like a platinum sombrero is taking it to a new level. I, I think he struck out at least seven times in this series. Yeah. I almost, like, I think almost half or if not half of his plate appearances on the road have resulted in a strikeout. It's, it's a, way different hitter he is a monster at home and he is not a major leaguer on the road it's just really weird it's really weird like it's more extreme than gavin sheets because we talked about that with sheets last year sheets get hit for power on the road all of his home runs come at home and that's changed a a little bit this season he's more even home and away yeah sheets was a product of the ballpark yeah, Sheets yeah. was just like it's a case where his uh, um, you know decent contact doesn't leave the yard going to right field in other ballparks, but it does a guaranteed right field. You know, Berger, yeah, that's just a different looking hitter. And I saw that they brought the eye pitch on the road, uh, or at least some kind of form of it. And then he goes and strikes out five times. So uh, that's one theory that you know maybe is not immediately debunked because who knows? Maybe there's some calibration involved, or maybe he's just you know that's the hot and cold. Uh, you know, runs I'm talking about just taken to an extreme, but I am, I am watching it just because it is severe. Like maybe like he just has a, yeah. Does he need to bring his pillow on the plane or something like that? Is a matter of like the sleep he's getting <laughs> just, he's, he's got to go through his, I think his entire day and see what he's missing uh, diet wise, or like is, is the coffee he he's getting not strong enough on the road. Like, kind of just checklist until, you know, you just swap variables out until you figure out what's wrong. But it is, it is something I'm watching now more than like sheets, which was pretty simple last year. Just, uh, you, you just hope that he'd hit the ball a little bit harder and never quite did. But you know, like you said, seems to be learning the contact quality is more consistent and stronger uh, home and away. So you just hope that wrist issue doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't disrupt what he, a, a nice little season he's had. We will be previewing the Detroit Tigers series next, but a quick word from our sponsor, Shady Rays. It's finally sunny in Chicago, Jim. So you can take on the sun with gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by the lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, 
They will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. And together with their customers, Shady Rays is providing much-needed support to nonprofit partners across the United States through Shady Rays Impact. From building playsets for pediatric cancer patients to providing young adults with MS, the outdoor adventure of a lifetime, Shady Rays is making an impact in your community and others like it now and for years to come. If you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. And during Memorial Day weekend, the Shady Rays Memorial Day sale is live right now. Go to ShadyRays.com and get 35% off all sunglasses. 35% off all sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by more than 250,000 people. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now the Chicago White Sox head to Detroit to face <laughs> the second place Detroit Tigers. I can't get over it, Jim. I'm sorry. I can't get over that Detroit of all teams is in second place. They are currently 21 and 25 in the season. They have lost six of their last 10 games and they have a one game losing streak. Offensively. That's not a streak. One game losing streak is a, they just lost their last game. Offensively. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The team has a 640 OPS. That is second to last in Major League Baseball. That's 29th in baseball. So they're slightly better offensively than Cleveland. As a team, they've only hit 39 home runs. That's 26th in Major League Baseball, so that's bottom five. Sluggy percentage, they are slugging a whopping 350. That's second worst in Major League Baseball. Again, Cleveland is the worst slugging team. So this offense for Detroit, slightly better than Cleveland. So that's good news for the White Sox. On the pitching front, however, the Tigers better. They have a 4.38 ERA as a staff that's middle of the road. The starters are close to a 5 ERA. That's 22nd in Major League Baseball. But the bullpen is a top 10 unit throughout the season. They have a 3.67 ERA. And your probable pitchers for the Chicago White Sox in this upcoming series at Detroit starting on Thursday night at 5.40 p.m. Central Time will be Lucas Giolito. He's staying hot. He's been on a roll. Can he extend his streak of consecutive starts of going at least six innings? We'll find out. 
That first pitch is at 5.40 p.m. Central Time. Friday night at 5.40 p.m. Central Time, it's Lance Lynn. And we'll see how Lynn does on the road against a weak offense. If he can get rolling. Saturday afternoon at 12.10 p.m. Central Time will be another Sox machine from the 108 watch party on playback. That's going to be a bullpen day. We'll talk about that specific game in a moment here. And then on Sunday at 12.40 p.m. Central Time, it is the Tiger Tamer. Dylan Cease, who owns Detroit in his career, will get the start on Sunday. So the White Sox win a couple games before Sunday. I think they have a great chance of being able to win this series on the road at Detroit. But Jim, the bullpen day on Saturday. We saw this on Monday with Mike Clevenger being out. We saw Jimmy Lambert be the opener and Jesse Schultens coming in for him and pitching it wasn't spectacular, but it was an effective five innings. He only allowed one run, and you take that from Jesse Schultz. How do you think Pedro Grafal is going to handle this open spot with Mike Clevenger out? Are we going to continue to see this type of pairing where Jimmy Lambert is a one-inning opener, and then they'll go to Jesse Schultz? Seems like uh, Grafal was open to trying it again, and it seemed like based on the results, there's no reason not to. I, th- I think Schultz was somebody else who just threw strikes, basically, and made uh, the Guardians get him in trouble. And aside from the leadoff walk that came around to score, and that was uh, Yasmani Grandal, like that, that was like a, a wild pitch, but it really wasn't that wild, just missed on the backhand. Um, you know, that's how the run scored. Like he pitched well, like it, it's the same template. So I think the Tigers are similar in that you just throw them strikes and then see what happens. Like they're not really, you know, hitting the ball for power, as you mentioned. Uh, they're not a great on-base team. What's fascinating to me is that you have two of the worst teams at hitting relievers here and two teams with ascendant bullpens like the Tigers, as you mentioned, uh, Alex Lang seems like he's now a, a dude uh, for the Tigers. Uh, the White Sox, as we've seen, uh, pitching much better top to bottom, like Joe Kelly is their dude. So like they have like established hierarchies it seems in their bullpen to where uh, if they can get six innings from their starters, they have things lined up. So, you know, it, I think the White Sox have to do some damage against uh, the Detroit's rotation, which they do have the advantage over. Um, that, that's kind of how I look at it. But these could be some low-scoring games again. You could see that uh, was 3.5 runs per game. Uh, the stat, like, you could see that continue because, like, if the White Sox can't get to Detroit's rotation, that's what you're looking at is just another, you know, grind to the finish and seeing if you can squeeze out a run against a bullpen that's been very good and an offense that hasn't been very good against bullpens. So this becomes the first five innings type of game then. Like the first five innings are critical, probably for either team, the White Sox and the Tigers. Yeah, it's, it's been that way, uh, I think. Uh, we just saw that with uh, uh, on, on Wednesday, uh, earlier today, with uh, you know doing some damage against Cal Quantrill and then the last 17 being retired in order. That's kind of how the White Sox, White Sox have operated. And the, uh, the Tigers, yeah, looking at their um, bullpen, like besides uh, – besides Alex Ling, like, you know, Jason Foley is looking good. Will Vest is looking good, like walking some guys, but also not allowing hits And the White Sox, you know, the same thing we just said about the, you know, Tigers lineup, I think applies to the White Sox when they're facing relievers, throw them strikes and, uh, you know, they're probably not going to walk. So their definition of a strike is more liberal than, you know, most teams definitions of strike to where like, they, they might get themselves out. 
And for the Tigers, their probable starters, Alex Fado on Thursday, Joey Wentz on Friday, Michael Lorenzen will be pitching on Saturday, and a Sunday is going to be a marquee matchup. Eduardo Rodriguez, who's been pitching very well for Detroit this year, will be making that start opposing Dylan Cease. But again, Dylan Cease has been dominant against Detroit in his career. Offensively, we talked about Tim Anderson, and you wrote about Tim Anderson that the options are very limited. Behind him, especially when there's no other shortstops. And I asked about a lineup shuffle before the Cleveland series. We did not get that. Do you think we're going to see any type of more shuffling in the lineup? Especially, you mentioned Andrew Vaughn, and it does require a little bit more deep analysis because we had the playback on Tuesday and I was just looking at some numbers on baseball savant to see and how he's progressing against sliders and fastballs from right-handed pitchers. And I was expecting progress and there was some progress at the beginning of the season, but we have not seen any type of progress. We're seeing some ugly regression from Andrew Vaughn in the last couple of weeks. Is this just a, a slump? Is, is this just what happens with Andrew Vaughn that you pointed before the season is that he, he disappears sometimes for a month and then he gets hot for a month. It's hard to say, like I, I have to do some, some digging myself just because, you know, my impression that is that I've seen him swearing a lot, like after uh, swings, just like not liking uh, the results, uh, popping a pitch up or, or hitting a fly ball when he should have crushed one, hitting one into the ground, seeing a lot of frustration at the plates. And yeah, the problem with Vaughn and, and what's tricky about um, what we've seen from him so far in his career is that, you know, when he's faded, especially later in the year, we've seen like leg problems, back problems, and it just seems to rob him of his ability to lift the ball, hit with power, really drive the ball. And now we're seeing that, uh, in May, it, that's what my you know brain automatically goes to. Something wrong physically because we've seen Vaughn just have these ruts that are caused by his body just you know failing him a little bit. So that's my concern. Um, but it's possible that just because he's made some adjustments to sliders that uh, maybe the league has picked up on something else. He's open. Like, you know, he covered one area and now there's a hole somewhere else that uh, pitchers are going to. So yeah, I, I do have to do some digging myself, but just a lot of, you know, empty at bats um, when he's been on base, a lot of singles, like a lot of having to watch Andrew Vaughn run, which is not fun. Like <laughs> you'd like to see him get to second, to at least get a head start, but uh, you know, being held up at third, a lot of stop signs from Eddie Rodriguez. So that's why I've noticed is like when Vaughn's hot, you know, he's just uh, a lot of going into second base, standing up, you know, if not homers, at least a lot of doubles. In this case, it seems like he's, you know, settling for singles and then it's uh, a long way the rest of the way. So uh, it, it's fun. You know, I guess kind of like uh, Yohan Makata, it's a little bit rewarding watching him because some alarm bells go off, even when you're not uh, really paying attention to how Andrew Vaughn is doing. They're just like this, this doesn't look right. Or I'm not having fun. Uh, when I'm not having fun, it usually means this or this. And it rewards the longtime watcher of White Sox games by just logging those reps of watching guys struggling to say like, ah, this isn't right. Uh, but given that Vaughn is still, you know, like you said, he made the improvements early on. So maybe these struggles, while they feel familiar, are just different and requires a different adjustment to uh, you know, address a hole that maybe he opened fixing something else. Let's give him the weekend. We'll bring this topic for Monday Sox Machine podcast. We'll take a deep dive into Andrew Vaughn and see 
how he's faring so far and how he does against the Detroit Tigers because, again, he's supposed to be carrying the torch from Jose Abreu and obviously extends this <laughs> lineage of White yeah. Sox first baseman. The, the good news is he is he's playing better than Jose Abreu. Yeah. that That is the good news. He's carrying a torch. Like, you know, he, he didn't uh, – uh, yeah, it's just uh, Abreu, man, I'm, I'm – I, I feel – uh, bad for the guy. I'm looking at his numbers right now to see what he's doing. Yeah, still homerless, 222, 280, 259. Slugging 259. Wow. Slugging Ooh. 259. I yeah. it's it's sad. It and now you have people in Houston starting to point the finger at Jeff Bagwell. Like, this is your idea. And it's yeah. clearly not working. I kind of you know, I feel bad for Brayu. I don't really feel bad for Bagwell or how the Astros uh, reconfigured their front office and kicked James Click out. Just you know, at Jim Crane saying like, I, you know, almost like he deserved more credit uh, for the way the Astros have been run, and now we're seeing them like you know. Uh, make some bad signings and do some uh, you know, moves that uh, like an owner would make uh, like fantasy baseball player, uh, you know, casual fantasy baseball player would make, Hey, I know that guy sign him. Uh, so yeah, it's, I, I didn't like the vibes from Houston early in the year. I think we talked about that in a playback, just the one buy sell on, on starts. And I was a little bit down in the Astros just because like, it did feel like, uh, there, they had something beautiful going on. Uh, a lot of fans would disagree that it was beautiful in Houston, but just like for Houston fans, like almost like they got bored with their success and they wanted to enjoy it more. Like they, they started like looking at the things that weren't right because everything else was awesome. So there are just like a, a few like loose ends of like, Oh man, I really wish I could have done this, or I really wish I got more credit. And they just, you know, gnaws at them. And now uh, they they sign Jose Abreu and they get rid of James Click and Jeff Bagwell's taking victory laps and looks premature right now. Well, I mean, they've been red hot. The Astros have been red hot as of late. They've been playing a lot better baseball. We'll see just how long uh, the, the latest injury with Jose Altuve and how that's going to impact him. But as long as you got Jordan Alvarez and you got Kyle Tucker in the middle of that lineup – uh, you're in good shape. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you're doing pretty good. As a reminder, before we sign off here, join us on Saturday for the next Sox Machine from the 108 Watch Party on Playback. 12.10 p.m. Central Time is the start. We'll watch the White Sox bullpen game together as the Chicago White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers. Hopefully the White Sox have a couple wins already in their pocket with Lucas Giolito going on Thursday and Lance Lynn going on Friday. But again, it's always very entertaining, especially with our friends from the 108 as we provide live commentary. It's free to sign up. Just go to playback.tv slash machine and register with your cable or streaming subscription such as MLB.tv and you'll be able to watch the game with us. Again, that is on Saturday at 12.10 p.m. Central Time. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you guys so much for watching. If you just discovered Sox Machine, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Those are also our Instagram handles. If you get a chance to, you can watch the live stream with us or any videos on YouTube.com slash Sox Machine. And if you do watch our videos, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Every Sox Machine live episode is also uploaded into our podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as, such as Spotify and Apple Music. If you enjoy your work and want more, you can get more by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. 
Monthly plans start at $2, and our Patreon supporters get exclusive content, ad-free versions of both the website and the podcast. And when we have new Sox Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're on for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for watching and listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.